When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is Tailgate Till May, part of the Believe Podcast Network. If you love college sports and you like to have a little action on the games, then this is the place for you because I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I love both of those things too. I'm excited to be back with you for another episode, and it's about 36 hours post-college football playoff semifinals, the Rose Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl, and that's going to be our topic for today. It's going to be a quick episode where I'm just going to give you my three big takeaways from this semifinal Monday that we had. I wanted to give this a little bit of time to breathe because it's really easy to get caught up immediately right after the games, late into the evening, early the next day, into some of the the aftermath, just getting caught up into some of these little details. And I really wanted to use this episode to talk more big picture, to do some big picture overarching takeaways from that whole day of games. There are a million little things we could get into as far as game management, play calling, strategy, and uh, you've probably gotten your share of that already. So what I want to do today is just give you my three main takeaways. Before I get into that, just a reminder, uh, you can find me all across all social media platforms at the same handle, at Gorg on Sports. Follow me there, especially on Twitter. That's where I give my most up-to-date gambling picks. And as we get deeper into the college basketball season, we have games going every day. Uh, that's where the best place to find my picks. Here on this podcast, I'll go more in detail on those picks. I'll tell you why I'm betting certain games the way I am, uh, what my strategy is, so on and so forth. But if you're just looking for the picks, you're just looking for how I'm playing games, Twitter is the best place to keep track of that on a day-to-day basis at Gorg on Sports. Okay, so what are my three big takeaways? Well, first, I really viewed this day, this championship uh, championship Monday. It's not right. That's what we call the National Championship Monday in basketball. So I got to find a new name. What was this? Semifinal Monday, I guess. Doesn't have quite the same ring to it. But I found this semifinal Monday, this Sugar Bowl and this Rose Bowl, to be a really refreshing day of college football. For somebody like me who spends so much time thinking about the kind of macro changes in the sport for somebody like me who isn't super excited about a lot of those macro changes, who is kind of worried in some ways about the sport and what we might be losing. I found this day to be very refreshing because for six or seven hours, this was just about the best parts of college football what's going on between those white lines. There was great play on the field, 
There was it was great atmospheres in both places. Uh, the Rose Bowl, of course, an iconic uh, stadium, a lot of tradition, a lot of history, and there's plenty of argument to be made about whether the Rose Bowl has held up progress in the sport of college football. It's not really an argument. I mean, they emphatically have. But it is still a very cool scene. Uh, if, you know, I love the tradition of college football, and good or bad, the Rose Bowl was a huge part of that tradition. The scenery is beautiful there. It is an old school football stadium where there's not a lot of other amenities, which I think is really cool. And it seems like everybody there is really invested in the game. So it was a, that's a great venue for college football, regardless of what you think about the Rose Bowl organization and how they have held up progress in the sport. And then the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. I mean, the Sugar Bowl is also an iconic bowl game. And New Orleans is a great college football city. You had one fan base in Washington traveling a very, very far way in order to make it to that Sugar Bowl. And then a fan base in Texas that didn't have quite as far to go. Uh, but the Washington fans, they did show up. They showed up in droves, and the Texas fans showed up just as you would expect. And I thought it was two really good atmospheres. And then you add that to the fact that this was the best day of semifinals I think we've ever had. And there's really not a ton of competition. It's either this year with Washington beating Texas and Michigan beating Alabama. It's last year with TCU beating Michigan and Georgia beating Ohio State in that game that ended just seconds before midnight on New Year's Eve as that that kick flew uh, as that kick flew wide for Ohio State and they uh, fell to Georgia in that game. That was a really cool moment. I think these last two years have clearly been the best two years of the college ball playoff. It's really been the only years where we've had two very, very good games, competitive, compelling games. And I don't know what more you could ask for this year with two games coming down to the very end. Both games came down to the last play of the game. The Michigan-Alabama game goes to overtime. Michigan stuffs Jalen Milrow on a design run at the goal line. Michigan wins. They finally get over the hump. They're going to the national championship game. It's taken them three times. The third year in a row, they're there. And they finally win a college football playoff game. And on the other side, you had a, a high-flying game where Washington did what Washington has done all year. They throw the ball around the yard, and they won a close game. This was a game that the first half I thought tremendously exciting, uh, exactly what we bargained for. We saw big plays. We saw uh, high-flying offenses. It was 21-21 at halftime, and then Washington really took control of the game in that third quarter, midway through the fourth quarter. It seemed like it was really done it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion and then all of a sudden texas has a chance to tie and win the game in the final 30 seconds they get all the way down to the 12 yard line before getting stopped on what was a great play a great last play of the game as the uh, quinn yours tries to throw for ad mitchell in the end zone and the ball is swatted away by a Washington defensive back. So it was it was refreshing to me to have six hours of college football with the highest stakes that was really, I felt like, high-quality football. And yes, the Alabama-Michigan game was sloppy at times, but it still felt high-quality. It felt important 
that is what you get with single elimination football between very, very good programs. And I know I made a big deal about Florida State getting left out of this playoff. I, I still think they should have been in. But these were great games, and this was the best college ball playoff that I think we have ever had. Really, no matter what happens in this championship game next Monday, because last year, I think right now, was the best college ball playoff semifinals we've had, the best college ball playoff we've had, and Georgia blew out TCU in the national championship game. I guess I got to view it kind of differently between best semifinals and best national championship we've, we've ever had. But this was a fantastic day, and it it was kind of a, a good reminder of what makes college football so fun, why we love college football so much, and it makes you forget about some of the conference realignment. Really, that is the biggest thing, the conference realignment that is changing this sport so dramatically. So I, I thought this was a great palate cleanser. I don't know that you could ask for much more than those two games coming down to the wire the way they did. I thought it was tremendously exciting and really a great day of college football. My second takeaway here, and I think this is part of what made this day so refreshing and so exciting, is that there are different ways to reach the national championship game. For so long, it felt like the only way you can go out and win a national championship is you recruit high school at the very, very uh, highest level. You stockpile talent. You're going to have a usually an outstanding, world-class, grade-A defense. You're going to be great in the trenches, and that's how you win a national championship. And there's 10 schools that can do it. And... A lot of that I still believe to be true. I believe you have to recruit very well at the high school level. I believe that you have to be strong in the trenches because Washington is strong in the trenches. But I also believe that Washington and Michigan are two stylistically very, very different programs that have done things in very different ways. And one of those two teams is going to go out and win the national championship. And I'm not somebody who says I'm so sick of the SEC. I think the SEC deserves a lot of credit for how many good teams they have in that league, how consistently they recruit, and how consistently they put good teams on the field and win games against the other conferences on the biggest stage when it matters most. I think for the most part, the SEC has really done it on the field. But it is nice to have some regional diversity and make this truly feel like the national sport it is. It doesn't, it didn't super bother me all these years when this was a sport really driven and uh, dominated by the South because there's a lot of great college football tradition in the South. There's a lot of great programs in the South. A lot of the things that we think of when we think about college football originate in the SEC, but there's some really good football being played in the Big Ten. There's some really good football being played in the Pac-12. There's some good football being played in the Big 12. There are areas all throughout the country where college football is just as important as it is in Georgia or in Alabama or in South Carolina or in Florida. It's important in Michigan. There's a ton of history and tradition in the state of Michigan when it comes to college football, and that is true for many, many places in this country. It's also true 
that I've always said this because I am a fan of a program in Maryland that is not a traditional power. You point to any college football program and I can find you a group of people that are as passionate about that particular school and that particular program as the most passionate, most diehard Alabama or Georgia or Texas fan is about their program. Just It's just going to be a smaller number. It's just going to be a smaller number. But there, that passion lives everywhere throughout the country when it comes to this sport. And I feel like, especially with Washington, it's so nice to see that. You know, Washington has a ton of great history and tradition. They won a national championship in the 90s. They've been very good over the years. They've also been pretty bad at times over the years. But they have as passionate of a fan base as anybody in the country. It just is going to be a little bit smaller than a school in the SEC. It just, and that's okay. That's okay. Because there are different ways to enjoy and love college football and all are great. And I think it's just really nice to see some of that being represented at the highest stage. But that's just kind of the on the periphery there. That's about the fan bases and, and why it's nice to see some regional diversity. But I also think we saw there are different ways to reach this point. Washington is doing it by throwing the ball all over the place with a, an elite quarterback and an elite receiving core. And that is how they're doing it. They do have a very good offensive line. They do. They won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in the country. We saw them get after the quarterback. But when you think about Washington, you think about them throwing the ball deep. And when you think about Washington and you think about Michael Penix, you think about Michael Penix. When you think Washington's offense, you think Michael Penix. They got Michael Penix out of the transfer portal as a transfer from Indiana. That is a drastically different path than most of the quarterbacks that we have seen in the college football playoff that lead teams to national championships. Yes, I know Stetson Bennett at Georgia ended up going a very unique route. He was at Georgia. He would then went to junior college. He then came back to Georgia. Very unique path, very unique route. And Stetson Bennett ended up being very good and a very important piece of that team. But he wasn't the driver of that team the way Michael Penix is the driver of this team. That defense in the first year was certainly uh, the driver of that Georgia national championship team in 2021, the 2021 season. It's one of the best defenses we've ever seen. Michael Penix is the driver of this team along with his receiving core. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a guy who was the five-star quarterback coming out of high school who landed with this program and has been there ever since, he took a different route. He took a different route going to Indiana and then transferring to Washington. I think we're going to see more and more of that in the future. And I think, you know, the transfer portal, the transfer portal will still trying to figure out how it impacts this sport on a macro level. And some a theory that I've been working on is that the transfer portal actually might provide some of these schools that are maybe a tier below the bluest of blue bloods, a tier below that blue chip ratio where over half your roster is four and five star prospects. It might actually give those schools a chance 
if they can grab a quarterback, if they can find talent like Washington did with Michael Penix. And I mean, you're kind of seeing it with Ole Miss and what they are doing in the transfer portal class this year. They are getting a ton of talent out of the transfer portal and they're really gearing up for a run in the first year of the 12 team playoff. They're kind of going for it there. So Washington took a very different path, chose a very different way plays a very different style of football than Michigan does. And Michigan, yes, they've done it more traditionally as far as recruiting, and they've recruited at a very high level, not an absolutely elite level, not a Georgia level, not an Ohio State level, not an Alabama level, but they have recruited at a high level, but they have decided to do it their own way. They are not a high-flying offense. They are going to run the ball. They're going to control the game, and they want to be physical. They wanted, that, that was something they really prided themselves on, is being more physical than Alabama, and indeed they were. Indeed they were more physical than Alabama. Uh, but they have done it their own way where they've said, we're going to run the ball. We're really only going to throw when we need to, and we're going to win it with our running game and defense. And in sports, I feel like there are only so many types of stories, right? I think in, in storytelling, what is it? Seven basic story types. Um, th- there's not that many stories really out there. It's like rags to riches, a quest, a tragedy, a comedy, things like that. Well, in sports, there's only so many. It's, uh, you know, you have a team trying to get over the hump. That's Michigan. They were there. They were there. They couldn't do it. They're now getting over the hump. You have a team like Washington that kind of comes out of nowhere. Well, let's call it the new kid on the block story device. You have the uh, dynasty. You have the the team going for greatness. Well, that that has to be Alabama and Nick Saban. That had to be Georgia and Kirby Smart throughout the season going for three straight. There's only so many of these types of stories, and we had a couple of different ones this year. Washington and and uh, Texas probably fall kind of closer to the same bucket. Although, you know, with Texas, you can say it was the return, the return of Texas. Texas is back. Steve Sarkeesian overcoming a lot of a lot of obstacles and, and personal demons in his life to get back to this point and nearly get to a national championship game. So again, you know, th- this probably goes more to just being a refreshing college ball playoffs than the fact that there are different ways to reach here. But I thought that was was fun, that there are these kind of different storylines involved in the college ball playoff and that there are these, these different stories that we're watching. It's not all the same story. For so long, it felt like it was all the same story when we had all those Clemson and Alabama championship games. And this feels very, very different. Um, you know, and if you look back at those championships, I would say there's you could make the the point there are different rate ways to reach the a national title as well because Clemson and Alabama were built very very differently but now I think you know recruiting high school recruiting is never going to stop being important the trenches are never going to stop being important in football but it seems like 
there are just this seems like the most diversity as far as style of play as far as regionality as far as all these different factors as far as you know where the quarterbacks are coming from uh michael Penix, a transfer quinn yours a transfer very highly touted high school player who only spent a year at ohio state and then transferred uh, those two quarterbacks were transfers jalen milrow and jj mccarthy committed to their schools out of high school but even stylistically in that Michigan-Alabama game, I mean, Jalen Milrow, a very different quarterback than J.J. McCarthy, the, those offenses are were very different. You know, Alabama was run the ball with the quarterback and take deep shots. Michigan is just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and credit to them, they did come up with a big drive when they needed it at the end of that game. But my overarching point here is it feels like there is just more diversity in style of play. There's more diversity in style of play at the highest level, and there's more diversity in how you can build a team at the highest level. And I think that's something that I've always liked about college football, and that I think differentiates it from the NFL because in the NFL it feels like everybody runs the same system everybody plays the same style it's a copycat league and once something works for one team everybody does it and there is no way you are going to be able to look on that field on Monday night in that national championship game and say these are the two these teams are playing the same style of football and I think those differences are fun People always say styles make fights. It's the old saying, styles make fights. And I believe that's absolutely true. And I think it's going to be fun to see which style wins out on Monday night in that national championship game. My third and final takeaway here is that it's better to be elite at something than just very good, pretty good to very good at everything. I would rather be elite at one thing and be good enough in the other areas then be pretty good to very good, but not elite across the board. And clearly, what Washington is elite at is throwing the football. Michael Penix is an outstanding quarterback. I made my case for him a month ago as the Heisman Trophy winner. I still think he should have been the Heisman Trophy winner. I think when we think about this season, we are going to think about Michael Penix. No doubt about it. But Michael Penix in that game, He gave his receivers a chance every time he put the ball in the air. He throws for 430 yards in this game, and his receivers, Romo Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, and then Jack Westover, the tight end, got involved a lot in this game too. Every contested catch, they went up and they made it, and Romo Dunze is unbelievably good. I don't think you can talk about Michael Penix without also talking about Romo Dunze because every time a ball is near him, the guy brings it down. Six catches, 125 yards in that game, nearly 21 yards per reception in this one. Washington has an absolutely elite passing game. They only rushed for like 2.5, 2.6 yards a carry, I believe. Okay, a little higher, 3.3 yards per carry but it wasn't very good. Dylan Johnson 
their their running back who got hurt at the end of that game. He only ran for 2.3 yards per carry. Michael Penix actually got involved in the run game a little bit. He had a couple rushes for uh, 31 total yards. That that was big for them. But they did not run the ball very effectively, and it didn't really matter because that passing game was so good. And that passing game, I thought, is what won the game for them. Their pass rush was good too. They put a lot of pressure on Quinn Ewers. They ended up having a couple sacks in that game, five tackles for a loss in that game, a good performance by the Washington defense, but that elite passing game was the difference. We came into this game saying, uh, you know, maybe Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell are just as good of a receiving core as Romo Dunze, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan. And uh, I, I... don't think you can leave that game still thinking that. I think Romo Dunze showed that he is clearly the best receiver on that field. He was clearly the best receiver in that game on either side. Michael Penix, to me, far outperformed Quinn Ewers in this game. And that's not saying that Ewers can't get to that level, but he's not Michael Penix yet. He's not there yet. Washington had an elite passing game, and that is what got them to the national title. Texas, I think, was the more rounded, all-around better team, but there was no aspect of their game that was as elite as Washington's passing game, and that was the difference. As far as Michigan is concerned, it was their defense. It was their defense. It's always been their defense all year long. You know, throughout the year, we kept seeing these stats where it was like, eight games in and nobody had been inside Michigan's red zone or they'd been inside Michigan's red zone one time, you know, crazy things like that. Crazy, crazy, crazy things like that. And if you look at, you know, the statistics for Michigan, I think there was only, there was only a couple games, only a couple games. It was, let's see the Penn state game, the Maryland game and the Ohio state game where, their opponent scored more than 14 points until the Alabama game. So <laughs> for most of the season, they were holding teams under two touchdowns. For uh, much of the season, they were holding them to three points, seven points, six points, 10 points, shut out, shut out. It was a dominant defensive performance all year long. And Alabama, or Michigan rather, in this game, they dominated Alabama uh, defensively, they were dominating that Alabama offensive line. They had six sacks in this game. They had 10 tackles for loss in this game. And they did what I was scared they would do to Jalen Milrow is they did not allow him to hit the home run ball through the air. Jalen Milrow threw for 116 yards in this game, 16 of 23 for 116 yards. Five yards per pass. There was no home run ball to be found. And I thought Michigan just physically dominated this game with their defensive front. I thought their secondary played very well. And I thought, again, that was more, that was, that's an elite unit. They get after the quarterback. Their defensive line is elite. Their defense is elite. Uh, I think if you look at both sides of the ball, you would say, okay, Alabama had a very good defense. They have a very good secondary. Uh, their offense is probably better than Michigan's. Uh, they at least were had been more explosive than Michigan's. Uh, but Michigan has that elite defense. So that is my third and final takeaway, is that I would rather be elite at something 
can be pretty good to very good, but not elite at everything. And I think that's why Michigan and Washington are playing each other in the national championship next Monday because of Michigan's elite defense and Washington's elite passing game. And now we're going to get to see those units go head to head. It's the classic unstoppable force versus immovable object. And it's going to be fascinating to watch on Monday night. I will be back before that championship game to break it down for you, to talk about all the angles, to talk about how I'm betting it. I'm sure I'll get involved in some prop bets in that game. Uh, we'll have to see what else I'm going to do because I, I am guaranteeing myself a payday or I have guaranteed myself a payday already with some of my future bets in this one, no matter how it turns out, but I'm going to be handicapping it. I'm going to be breaking it down and I'm going to be sharing it all with you before that game kicks off on Monday night. That's our show for today. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.